Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball with Grant and Danny. Interviews, analytics, and analysis on everything baseball in the nation's capital. Boston Loose Baseball, Grant Paulson, Danny Rie, producer Darius Dameron. We are closing in on the Tuesday trade deadline, Danny. It is Thursday as we record, so that's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Five days away. What's your prediction right now? Does Soto get traded or does he stay? I still, up until maybe um, last night, I would say, I still felt like it was more that they wouldn't be able to get a deal in place or that the ownership group, as it currently stands, would say, ah, we just don't, we can't do it. We can't be the ones that traded away Juan Soto, a la Bryce Harper a handful of years ago. Enough people have said there's enough momentum for this. Enough people have said and kind of opened my eyes to the possibility of you're already the villain, quote-unquote, here if you're the learners. And I don't mean in a, in a you know Marvel movie villain kind of way. They're not doing a Thanos snap. But you're already kind of on your way out. Right, your legacy is the World Series. Your legacy is this revitalized part of town that used to basically just be a giant salt pile and a and a, and a place for uh, the Navy Yard and kind of an exit to go somewhere else. Now it's a you know vibrant destination with condo buildings everywhere. The learners, that's their legacy here, right? Is to bring that World Championship, seven eight years of excellence, and you know a, a, a franchise that this you know city can be proud of. That doesn't necessarily change over time if you're the ones that traded away Juan Soto. The new ownership group doesn't want to be the bad guy here in this case, whoever they happen to be. I'm now leaning towards Juan Soto being on the move before Tuesday. And I didn't think I would get there, but I am. I I was thought, you know, listen, if we work back from the, they're not going to resign him, they can't. Any offer I've always kind of felt that Scott Boris would receive would be, thank you very much for the offer. We're going to the open market. We're going to reset this entire thing. I've always felt like they couldn't sign him. If you work back from that, we've kind of gone over the practical permutations of, of what makes the most sense. I now think it's going to happen, and I think it's going to happen sometime over the weekend. I really do. I, th- I think now we're having rubber meet the road here. So it's interesting you say that because <clears throat> I have all along said the chances that he doesn't get traded are, are greater than 50%. I just think, f- frankly, it's kind of fantasy baseball-y, right? I mean, players like Juan Soto don't get dealt, and I'm almost – Resting on precedent to say, yeah, it probably doesn't happen. 
the amount of stars that have to align, the amount of players a team has to be willing to give up, the, the package they have to put together, it's just unlikely as much as clubs and executives covet prospects now. And on top of all those things, I mean, you need Rizzo to find the right deal and then the learners to, to want to, to pull the trigger and the new owner, whoever that's going to be, probably somehow involved or at least the prospective owners being talked to about this. Everyone's got to be on the same page and it's all got to happen by this deadline. It just seems like a lot to make happen, right? Here is what I know, though. <clears throat> the people that are smarter than me that do this for a living, either by way of being in baseball working with teams or being in baseball working at agencies or in the media, you know, even on the show. You guys heard our interview with Jim Bowden in this feed. Uh, we had Tom Verducci of SI and, and MLB Network on our DC show on Thursday day as well. They all think he's getting traded at this point. Now, that's not a great reason for me to say it's going to happen, but it, it means something. I mean, my reason for saying all along that it wasn't going to happen, Danny, is essentially it's just hard to believe that it would, right? I mean, that's right. it's not a great reason. It's just, yeah, it just no, stuff like that is, doesn't Grant. really happen. It, you know? it is. It's very rare. And and this is obviously we're doing a baseball podcast here, but years it now seems forever ago, but you and I had a discussion on a regular show, Grant and Daniel, 106.7 The Fan, and your point was, hey, I'm reading the tea leaves here. I think Tom Brady's going to leave New England. I'm like, no, he's not. He can't leave New England. That's Tom Brady in New England. They go to the AFC title game every year. Half of the AFC title games, more than half, 65% of the AFC championship games in, in the last 20 years feature Tom Brady and the Patriots. He's always going to be a Patriot until he wasn't, right? It didn't make any sense that it would happen until it happened. So your point I know it's not, you know, I don't know that the judge would slam the gavel and dismiss the case after you make that compelling Perry Mason-style legal argument, but it makes perfect sense to me. It's totally salient because this doesn't happen until it does, if it does. Yeah, and I guess now I will be somewhat surprised maybe if it doesn't happen just because it will mean that a lot of people who are really plugged in and really smart were wrong, and, and a lot of the stuff that I'm hearing from folks in baseball uh, ends up not coming to fruition. But I, I will say this. While I want them to find a deal where they get a ton back, and I will be somewhat disappointed at this point, as much as I love Soto, and I like him more, I said this on a po recent podcast, than I have any player since I was a kid. I, I will you know, forever cherish. I got a Juan Soto autograph ball in the sweet spot that I bought. I've got, you know, I'll, I'll be searching for Soto merchandise for years to hang in the basement whether he's with the Nats or not. One of my favorite players ever in any sport. I think that their path to being good again in the next couple years is a lot better if they move him and get a ton back. I mean, there's just there's a, a lot of things you could argue against just paying Soto and having him as your superstar, even though this is Babe Ruth, this is Ted Williams. Like, look, if the floor is he's here for the next 15 years because you're able to somehow sign him, that's incredible, and I want that. I mean, I'll touch that button right now. I just don't think that's realistic. I think he's leaving in two and a half years as it is. I think Boris is taking him to market, and you either trade him now for a ton of stuff or you trade him in the future for a lot less stuff. That, to me, is kind of how I'm approaching this. It, it, it's a lot like Trey Turner last year. Did I want to package him into a deal with a year and a half left to go to the Dodgers? Heck no, I didn't want to do that. But the ship had sailed, and he wasn't resigning, and they weren't close. And so everyone wants to yell and have this argument and discussion about, well, should they be paying him? And what about if they just did it this way? I'm just dealing with what is. I'm just dealing with reality. And the reality, I believe, having talked to people involved in this situation, is that this is not a contract that is doable with the agent and the player right now. 
And if that's the case, then you got to get as much back for him as possible. And and I'm excited about the possibility for a terrible system without a lot of big league talent right now that's young to have maybe five or six guys come back. And if three or four of them are really good big leaguers for this team for years to come with Josiah Gray and Kbert Ruiz where they got at last year's deadline, now you're two or three free agent moves by a rich owner away when they come in here. From being back in that 90-win mix, like, I see a path. I see some light at the end of the tunnel if they get what I think they can get for Juan Soto. So, at a 30,000-foot view for a, for a fan here who's not going to delve too deeply into something, they'll just go, this is another guy they just let go, right? They'll go, you you let Bryce Harper walk away, you let Rendon walk away, you got rid of Turner, and now you're getting rid of Soto. Oh, it's the same. Well, there was a nugget in – a Jesse Doherty story, uh, where I think he caught up with Trey Turner at the All-Star game, where the last offer, again, from the story, that Trey Turner received was for six years and $100 million as an extension. Shortly before, Francisco Lindor signed a $341 million extension. And it's the opinion of a lot of folks that as soon as the Nats saw what Lindor signed for, they realized, we can't keep Trey Turner. And they, they didn't up their offer. They didn't try to come close. They didn't try to match it. They knew it was over. And, and there wasn't a lot of communication with Trey Turner sort of thereafter. And, you know, in retrospect, Turner was sort of was like, yeah, I guess now I see that that's, that's kind of what happened. This is not that. This is not Anthony Rendon after winning a World Series going, hey, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to be paid. I'd like to, I'm, I'm, otherwise I'll go to free agency. And the learners offering him up something with a ton of deferred money the way their kind of normal playbook and him scoffing at it and going out in free agency. This is not, you know, uh, the, the exact same as the Bryce Harper negotiation where you had somebody that was on deck here. This is a pretty significant offer. This is not their usual deferred money thing. This is not a, you know, uh, kind of a, a bit of an accounting trick. This was a major offer that they made to Juan Soto of a, a decade and a half. You'll be here for multiple managers, probably multiple general managers. You'll see you know, changes to everything in the organization a couple times over. You are the centerpiece period end of story for an all, for more money than anybody's ever made in the history of this game. If I was Juan Soto, as I've said a million times already on this podcast, I would have turned that down. I would not have taken that. I would not have had myself be, uh, you know, 20th or so all time in annual average value in terms of a contract. But this is not the exact same playbook that the Nationals have run previously. Right, I mean, just these other times where you would keep somebody because you're in contention, you, you you keep Bryce Harper potential through the end of the 2018 season because you hope that you'd make a comeback. You you kept uh, Anthony Rendon on the 2019 team because you had a chance to win the World Series and, and so on and so forth. This team doesn't have a chance to win diddly or squadouche. So we're trying to find a way to get back to that competitive window that they just finished enjoying where they were as good as all but maybe a team or two in Major League Baseball. To your point, the best path to do that is to trade him. It is. Because without it, you need to have a, an unbelievable, extraordinary shooting percentage of guys that you've already drafted somehow improve their stock. Guys that you just drafted to be developed in a hey, way you need that Elijah you... Green to be awesome. You need Brady House yeah. to be great. You need Cade Cavalli to stay healthy and be a number two. You need Cole Henry to be healthy and be a number two. You need Josiah Gray to, to add a third pitch and get even better. You need Ruiz to, to be what he has been except for hit for more power and a little more average. Like... A lot of things have to go good. To, and the new owner has to come in here, be rich, want to spend, and and go get you an Aaron judge and type player. All of those things have to happen, and they have not happened for basically a decade here. 
right? There's the this is a graveyard of Carter Keybooms and Victor Robleses and 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 you know again the best it's been in terms of a draft pick highly touted that's supposed to be a difference maker at the major league level has been Eric Fetty. That's what's happened. Now, against a lot of the, some of the guys that would be helpful here, not necessarily frontline players, but help filling out the roster with major league caliber talent, have been traded to keep the window open. I'm very aware of that. But it's still not an excuse for how it's been over the last decade. So you could rely on a process that has not yielded good results for 10 years to all of a sudden start doing that or cheat. And I don't, I don't mean you know anything nefarious. I mean, you cut the line when you traded Steven Souza for Trey Turner. You cut the line when you create when you traded uh, Matt Caps for Wilson Ramos, right? Instead of drafting a catcher, grooming him in the minor leagues, hoping that he steps up and is okay, you you poach somebody else's best prospect for a, a, a reclamation closer rental in Matt Caps. They've done that. This is that on steroids, rocket ship to the moon style. It stinks. Because of who we've already lost. It stinks because they've been dreadful for three years. If this was a 90-win team, you'd feel differently about it. Or if there was an, an easy path to that, this is their best bullet here to try to find a way to start a new run of being really, really good again. And as painful as it is, I happen to now think it's the right thing to do. He's Danny. I'm Grant. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball. We give you at least two episodes every single week. We dive into the minors and prospects and cover the team at the big league level. And right now, really, the big story, the only thing that matters is the future of Juan Soto. So prediction time, percentage chance out of 100 that Juan Soto is traded at the deadline. I'm going to say for the first time, I've always said, at first, I was 70%. This was a couple months ago that he doesn't get traded. Then I was 60% about a week ago. Then I was 55% this past couple of days. Right now, I'm going to say there is a 53% chance that Juan Soto is traded at the deadline. 51-49. I just finally tilted that way. I was probably like you. I think it was like 80-20, maybe 70-30, whatever, just to, just to be slightly different, I guess. Um, about him staying. I just didn't think they'd be able to, A, have a team thread the needle to get an offer together, B, have uh, ownership sign off on it. Logistics of being able to do that just seemed impossible to me. Now I'm starting to have confidence based on kind of the buzz, a number of people that you know have kind of said this, that are really, really close to this thing. It seems like it's inevitable, and especially given Mike Rizzo's comments on the junkies, the, how forthright he was, it made me seem like this is now absolutely on the menu. So you mentioned the Junkies. Uh, they're a morning show. Everyone knows them, obviously. But in case you randomly listen to our Nats pod from somewhere else in the country and you just stumbled into us, on 106.7, the fan, Legends in the D.C. Market, and they have Mike Rizzo, president of the Nats, on their show each and every Wednesday. And uh, he was asked a bunch of questions. They did a really good interview with him. But there was one particular thing he said that I found amazing. In fact, Darius, are we able to play the clip, do you think? Can you insert the clip into BLB? Absolutely. All right, good. So let's do that by way of radio magic. Darius is going to insert this clip. You'll hear it right now. We're not going to dilute a, a, a return for any player by uh, by adding a bad contract. That's not where we're at in our organization uh, at, uh, at this time. We want to get the most for uh, for each and every trade that we do. So we certainly are not going to uh, uh, tack on a any anybody's contract to uh, to any anybody's deal, including Juan Soto's or Josh Bell's or anybody's. I mean, he could not have been more candid in saying they're not going to attach the Patrick Corbin contract and. Any contract, for that matter, that's a bad contract, including Steven Strasburg, which is untradeable anyway. But really, that's about Corbin. That has been long speculated. I've talked to people 
all over baseball who said they're going to try to do that. In fact, I talked to someone with the Nats who made it seem to me like it was something that they had considered or, or might prefer to do. But apparently Mike Rizzo does not agree with that person, and he's the decision maker. I guess he could just be saying things. He could just be talking to talk. But when you go as hard as you just heard him go and as adamant as he was on 106.7 The Fan in D.C., that they're not going to attach a contract because they don't want to dilute the package. That's a big, big deal, and I loved hearing that for the record because I want as many prospects and good young big leaguers back as possible. This has to be about getting talent back, not getting out of your own mistakes. And also, the Cor- well, we can get into what Corbin's contract could be in the next couple of years, but to me, that was music to my ears. I-, I do not want to trade Patrick Corbin's deal to just open up the book for the new owner. I want all the young players back. It would make a little bit more sense to me to to include Corbin if you were a move or two away, right? If you were a contending team that that needed to add a little bit of payroll or do some creative accounting or or whatever, you know, just needed one piece. That's not the case here. They need major leaguers. They need minor leaguers. They need everything in between. They need a, a few guys to round out the Double A roster, Triple A roster. You know, young big leaguers right now this minute. They need frontline players that are going to be up in the majors, helpful over the next handful of years. Anything that you do that dilutes that, to me, is not good policy. It's like one of those things where I don't have a good, a great comparison. But like both my wife and I work, right, and we both have like health plans to choose from, and we're trying to figure out like which one's the best, and we're trying to decide like which one is it the one that makes more money that we should take the chunk out of, or or the one that makes less money. Like which one do we do? And we couldn't make that kind of decision. The point was, we asked our accountant, what gives us the most money. Like, what, what, how do we have the most take-home at the end of the day? And that's how we made our decision. That's what this reminds me of. And I know that was a terrible analogy by me. But the point is, how do I remake the— Which one my, did you go with? We actually, actually stayed with mine. We're, wow. Because, I, I mean, I don't know any better. you're a big silly. Well, I couldn't figure—well, I'm not really. I'm, I'm a medium silly. But, like, the, the whole point was, what is, what is our best way— to maximize in this capacity. And then we moved on to, to whatever the next thing was. And I think that's what the Nationals should be doing here. So I, I was encouraged to hear that. It's the type of thing where if it's, you know, if you get two unbelievable packages and everyone's gone as far as they can go and then it's a tiebreaker, okay, I guess I could see it. But if, if it hinders in any way which you get back in return, then no thank you. Uh, yeah, I, I just, I'll make it real simple. You're trading Juan Soto, which you probably should never do because he's that good. And you're you're doing it because you don't have much of a choice because your back is now against the wall. And it's either you do this and you reset the whole thing or you allow him to continue to play and you're bad for a really, really long time because your system is so terrible. And it doesn't seem like he's going to resign. If you're going to trade him, it needs to be for the greatest compensatory package that has ever existed. It needs to be for the Herschel Walker deal in baseball. It needs to be for quantity and quality. I need five really good baseball players back at the double A or higher level, or, you know, a blue chipper who looks the part in a ball could be the, the last guy in the deal. But this is not a bunch of guesswork in the low minors. This is not a bunch of guys. This staff has to develop and groom and coach up. I want good major league or close to major league ready talent back not offloading deals, not having you pick up money. I'm trading one of the great assets in the history of the game and unequivocally the greatest asset to be traded since Babe Ruth. That's what we're talking about here. So screw getting out of a contract. And on Corbin, I would just say 
We just saw David Price pitch making $30-plus million a year as part of a $217 million deal for the Dodgers out of the bullpen against the Nationals. They're paying him close to $40 million to do that. There is a precedent for teams taking on bad contracts and moving guys out of the rotation who can't really do it anymore and into the pen, and that's what it should be for Corbin next year and the year after. If he's here, he should be in the pen one and two innings at a time. Maybe he's better that way. Probably won't be. But if he's bad, then at least he's bad for fewer innings which is addition by subtraction, frankly. And as you said, you're not winning a title next year. You're not competing for the playoffs realistically. Even if you hit a home run on all the players that come back and then you spend a little bit in free agency, you're taking a big step toward competing next year if all those things happen, but you're not in it to win it. So pay the guy. Who cares? And if you want to dump him before the final year of the deal or something, then so be it. But... I think you can absolutely just eat that for the next couple of years while you are preparing to be really good. What will be kind of the third year from now with all the players you're getting back if you trade Soto? Or if you don't at that point, just because even though Soto is walking, theoretically your new owner will be able to go out and make some splash moves in free agency with some other players. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Uh, There has been so much Soto talk, and there should be, just people correctly doing what they should be doing, including us, that we haven't talked enough about other players that could get traded. I mean, how under-talked about is Josh Bell right now? I know, right? He's probably the best bat on the market, not named Juan Soto. So the Nats kind of have the two best hitters, maybe, at this trade deadline. I don't know what what Josh Bell's going to get back. It's interesting. So the first kind of splash move that was made was Wednesday night. The Yankees acquired Andrew Benintendi from the Royals, who had three or four suitors. I think it would have been more, but he's unvaccinated. So if you have to go to Toronto in the playoffs, that could be an issue. Some reporting says that he told the Yankees to get vaccinated. He'd do it for a better team. He just didn't want to do it for a bad team. Which is fascinating to me, by the way. I'm paraphrasing, but, I mean, that's quite literally what's happening. Uh, So that's weird. But anyway, uh, I don't care about his vaccination status. I care about the baseball player he is, and he's going to help the Yankees. But they gave up three minor league arms, two guys that are right around 20th in the system, according to MLB Pipeline. And What I thought was it was like a quantity over quality deal. You, you you traded for Andrew Benintendi, and you didn't give up a single guy in the top 18 in your system. Mm-hmm. But you got 19, 21, and a third arm, and, and all three of the guys have pretty good numbers at some point this year or last year in the low levels of the minors and some high strikeout rates and good fastballs and decent stuff. So you could do that with Josh Bell. Like You could trade him for three or, or so guys that are mid-level or worse prospects, or you could try to get like one pretty good one. You know, maybe you could get like the the eighth or sixth guy in in a decent system or something like that. Uh, what would you prefer to go quality and try to get one player that might be good, 
or quantity and with this barren system just try to flood it with talent like they did last year when they brought in a lot of you know minor leaguers who aren't probably going to end up being great major leaguers but could help you in, in developing guys. Yeah, it's a lot of Donovan Casey in those returns last year. I'm more for the – let me take my, my moonshot with one high-end guy, but that's just my – philosophy in general. I think you start adding those guys up. I, I think that, you know, the high tide raises all the boats. But just to give you an idea, I mean, I, I picked one side at random, MLB trade rumors. Andrew Benintendi was the number two ranked guy available in the market. And Josh Bell was number three, right? It, just, to, just to let you know, I mean, he's ahead of, you know, uh, Luis Castillo of the Reds and, uh, you know, some of the other guys that might be marquee. Frankie Montas, I think relief pitcher with the Athletics was the other guy in the five. You're sort of limiting it to contenders, though, instead of the you know franchise type building guys um, for you know for teams that aren't particularly good at this point that would want Josh Bell services. So I don't think you're going to get a great haul back, to be honest with you. But it just makes sense to to try to get something. But yeah, I'm more of a shoot the moon kind of guy and and take one shot at the dartboard instead of saying let's get you know seven you know not seven that's obviously not realistic. Let's get four guys that are basically four A players. Like I, I'm not interested in finding a few more Andrew Stevensons. I'm going to see if there's one guy that, that I think has enough upside, and I'll take a shot at it. If it doesn't work, so be it. So it's interesting. I think I'm more with you in the give me one quality guy over like three quantity guys for Bell. Having said that, I kind of liked what the, the Yankees got back, <laughs> to be honest. I mean, maybe I just like those guys a little bit more than some. But, you know, when you're putting up big-time strikeout numbers, you throw hard, you got two pitches and a ball. I mean, there is a path to you becoming pretty good, and those lottery tickets a lot of times work out. I mean, a guy like Tanner Roark, as an example, was not a prospect really right, in the yeah. system. I mean, that that was just a move where Rizzo and his scouts, who are really good at what they do, evaluated him and said, "This guy's better than people think. Let, let's get him in this deal too." And so I, you've seen that work a lot as well. I guess there's no right way to do it, but I, I would like ideally for if they could get back one. Let's say Juan Soto doesn't get traded. I'd like them to get back one of the best prospects who's moved at this deadline for Bell because he's one of the best players being traded. And I understand that a Castillo is a, is a higher impact guy. Uh, what's his contract status? Is he a rental or does he have one and a half left? Luis Castillo from the Reds. Do you know? that up. Yeah. I mean, if, if he's a rental, then he shouldn't get you a whole lot more than Bell, right? If you got one and a half years and controllability, then obviously that changes the game a little bit. One guy I have heard that's on the block, and I'm sure you've seen this, is Tarek Skubal from the Tigers. He's got a lot of He's control stuff ability for days. left and, and big-time stuff. Like, if he actually gets traded, they would do really well in that. I don't know why they would trade him because he's good and you control him and he's going to be good for a while, and I can't imagine you're that far away. But uh, but his name keeps coming up. I feel like that would be a really good return. Uh, but it doesn't matter about Castillo, I guess, at the end of the day. All right, so let's go in order with guys we're most sure get traded. So I'm putting Bell number one on my list. Who? How about you? Bell is the one that makes the most sense, so I'll go number one for him as well. All right, number two. I'll say... I I, I don't have any confidence here. Now my voice is going to start to go up at the end. I'm going to say Kyle Finnegan. He's controllable, though, for a couple years. He is, and that's why I certainly would. I would do it it right away. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I wonder if they think maybe there's some stability to be had there. I think he's good, and I think teams will like him, and he's got stuff and controllability, and you could get something for him. I'm not not say, something great, but something. I'm going to say Carl Edwards Jr. Okay. Uh, d- yeah, I definitely think he'll get traded. I mean, his return compared Minimal. to a Finnegan return would, would be 
you know, next to nothing. Uh, but yeah, I, I, we're just talking about who's going to get traded. Obviously, Soto we've talked about is somewhere on this list around fifty percent. What about some other names we don't talk about? Is is there a surprise? You know, last year, if you would have told me that John Lester was getting dealt, I'd have bet you a million dollars. No one was taking him on, and lo and behold, they got a guy back who's played a lot in Lane Thomas for him, which is still insane. But I'm thinking names like. You know, Cesar Hernandez, I think, has the fewest errors for an everyday second baseman in baseball and, you know, isn't a particularly you know, great player, but at one point in time in the first half this year was pretty routinely hitting up around 280 and without power. Now he's dropped to about 240 or so. Um, Michael Franco has got a little bit of pop off the bench if you're looking for it. Uh, Victor Robles is a defense first guy who's had a good last week, who's stolen a couple bases. Uh, recently, it hadn't been thrown out all year with double-digit steals. Um, we haven't talked about Nelson Cruz. I was, gonna, I, I was just about to say that. We have not even mentioned him. I'm hoping that somebody, an, an opposing team or another set of scouts, goes, there's one little uh, pitch or there's one little thing in his swing. That's why he's hitting constantly weak ground balls to the left side and like 90% of his at-bats, numbers approximate. We'll grab him. We'll fix it. He'll start hitting the ball in the air again and hit a bunch of homers. Because that has been a disaster, quite frankly. Yeah, it has. I mean, it just it really hasn't worked out. I get why they did it. I'm not upset about it. A one year rental of a you know a, a few million bucks here or there in the hopes that How he gets bad traded. Is that that we forget about him the week of the trade deadline. In, in, the, in the hopes that he gets traded for a prospect or two. That was a very reasonable thing. That's the Matt Caps playbook all over again. He hasn't homered in like 125 at bats. It's been awful, Grant. He, uh, he had a I mean, day off them. to end the Dodgers series, like legit, right before the deadline. They're like, yeah, you need a day. It's not going well for you. I'm going to change it, though, because, I, I mean, you got to trade him for whatever you can get. If it's a bag of baseballs, that's fine. So I would go Bell 1, Cruz 2, and then I would go with the Finnegan, Edwards, Jr., Soto tier. Uh, but where's where's your surprise? Give me a guy we're not talking about that gets traded. You said Michael Franco, and that was going to be my surprise guy. Again, I there's not much there. Uh, I think maybe somebody you might want a, a, a good – a good, maybe a good AB against a lefty, something like that. May see something there as veteran presence and such. Doesn't blow the skirt up. Not particularly good defensively. Hasn't done much on offense. A nice early start to the season, by the way, where he was towards the top uh, of the roster and RBIs and, and hitting the ball hard here and there. But of course, has regressed to what he is, which is a guy that probably shouldn't be a starter on a major league roster at this point. So that was going to be my little surprise guy that might get worked into a deal. I'll say. I need a deep cut, right? I would, need to would, go. I mean, would Robles count as a surprise? Well, maybe. I mean, I th- I th- I would trade him if I could, and I, I don't know why a team wouldn't be interested in him honestly as an extra outfielder. Like we're down on him because we wanted him to be a franchise building block center fielder. Good. But if you need speed and defense, I don't know why you wouldn't bring him in. I'll just say one of the relievers. Like I'll go Steve Ciszek. You know, relievers get dealt all the time where you, you, you need a guy because you want to maybe even just give less innings to the guys you care about the rest of the way and, and spell them. So I'll just say maybe Steve Ciszek gets moved. Eric uh, Fetty, possible deep cut? That's a deep that's cut a deep for cut, sure. I mean, right? he absolutely would make sense because, again, controllability, okay results, fifth starter on a good team. Maybe there's value there to someone to just have a starting pitcher semi on the cheap. I could see it for sure. Uh, the question is, you know, do they have enough arms to feel like they could get rid of that organizational depth where, like Corbin, at least he's a guy that pitches every fifth day you don't have to worry a whole lot about. Uh, speaking of traits, we told you we would talk to J.J. Cooper of Baseball America. Uh, he covers the game at the minor league level, and nobody knows more about prospects than him. Uh, we wanted to get a breakdown from him on some of the packages that could be coming back to the Nats. So let's talk to J.J. Cooper, the editor and the writer at BA, right now. 